Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Gabriel Talks Football is a production of the Barroom Network. Make sure you follow Greg on Twitter at G-G-A-B-E football and follow the Barroom Network at Barroom Network. If you prefer to see the video version of this show, just go to YouTube and search Barroom Network. You'll see a list of our live shows and Gabriel Talks Football is there. Welcome, everyone, to a fresh edition of GTF Gabriel Talks Football. My name is Aldo Gandia, and I have been looking forward to this episode since Greg says, maybe I can get this guy on because he is one of my favorite all-time sports writers who covers the Chicago Bears going back to the days of Don Pearson and Cooper Rollo. But I'll let Mr. Greg Gabriel do the introduction. Greg, how are you, my friend? I'm doing good. How about you? Oh, man, I am so psyched for this. And people in the chat room are psyched as well. Why don't you introduce your guest? Well, we got Brad Biggs from the Tribune. And Biggsy and I have been friends going back to 2001 when I got here because we came here at the same time. Oh. And I got to ask him where he came from because I don't remember and I probably knew. Biggsy, how you doing, buddy? How are you doing? You're doing real good. So where, where were you before you came here in 01? The Sun-Times, doing some editing and, and stuff of that nature. Uh, covered a little 1AA football in Pocatello, Idaho. Uh, covered preps and such uh, in Elgin for a while. So um, I'd been doing a couple different things before I uh, was fortunate enough to uh, get on the beat back in 01. Because yeah, I remember we were at uh, up in Platteville. It was probably one of the first days of camp and I wandered out around town just to see, and I walked into a bar, and there you were, and you introduced yourself, and we had a couple gustos that night. I don't know if you remember that, but I do. I do. Pocatello was was a good town. That was a lot of fun. I think I, I think I asked you about uh, the Giants had a big uh, big right tackle named Scott Gregg, who I had uh, I had seen play at Montana when right. I was cover- when I was uh, when I was covering the Big Sky. Uh, he was he was a particularly good player uh, at the one double A level. I think he was probably just sort of an average guy uh, in the NFL. But uh, you would you had been with the Giants when I believe Greg was right. selected for seventeen years before that. Yeah, we took him. And in, in, in all honesty, that's a name I haven't even thought about in years. I I, um, I don't remember. I I think he started for a little bit, but I don't remember how good of a career he had. I think he played for a super long time, but you know he was he was a guy that stood out uh, at, oh, yeah. at the one double level. You, you know he he was blocking for a, a guy who was uh, a sensational college quarterback that um, was probably before his time. When you look at some of the what some of the smaller quarterbacks have been able to accomplish since uh, Dave Dickinson, and he went on to a Hall of Fame career in the CFL. And he's been a very successful coach in Canada as well. But Dave Dickinson was a record setter at the one double A level. I believe he was Walter Payton, you know, the one double A player of the year. Uh, and, and so Greg was blocking for him at Montana, which they had a wide open uh, passing attack designed by Don Reed, who was uh, famous in the Northwest was, uh, I, I think um, a guy credited at least somewhat maybe with the development of Dan Fouts going back uh, even further. 
Well, they, you know, the Montana program has always been a top program at that FCS level. I mean, I think it's rare that they don't make the playoffs. They, they develop linemen. You know, a yeah. lot of those, yeah. a lot of those schools up there do a really nice job of bringing in offensive linemen that are maybe guys that are growing uh, late in high school or even early into their college career. They're picking up players that maybe uh, Washington. Washington State, and uh, in, in perhaps the Oregon schools kind of pass over. And so these smaller programs are able to get those linemen. And they, uh, you know, Idaho has turned out um, some successful uh, offensive linemen over the years, Eastern Washington. Uh, so well, it's the know, same with North Dakota State, too. Yeah, exact same thing, where, where kids that are overlooked at maybe by some of the Big Ten schools. Um, land in programs like that and they're able to uh, flourish and make it to the next level. So Bigsy, let me ask you, we'll, we'll, we'll switch to the important topic here. What's your take on this Bears team this year? I've been thinking about this for the past week or two with um, how things are configured in the division right now with the off season that the Bears have had. It's going to be a very interesting. I don't think there's going to be any shortage of storylines. And to me, it's kind of difficult to, to really target wins. You know, this is a young team. Uh, if they experience some success in the first four, five, six weeks of the season, that can be something they can build off of. And they're, and they're going to have to uh, to get on a little bit of a roll. You know, you talk about learning how to win. Well, you know they they did they sure as heck didn't learn how to win last year, nope. and they're going they're going to need to do that at some point. But if they can get off to a promising start, who knows what's possible? If they stumble uh, out of the gate, that's all right. They can find their footing uh, in mid to late October, and um, you know because I, I think when pace or excuse me polls came in with Matt Eberflus. Uh, probably on the calendar, they're circling 2024, uh, and I and I still believe that. But that doesn't mean you should put any type of ceiling on what this group this year can accomplish. Yeah, I I agree with you wholeheartedly. I have been saying all along that the key to this season is the first four games, and if they can come out of the gate and win three out of those four, and on paper they should be in three out of those four games, you know, with Kansas city being the game that's a, that's a loss, then that builds momentum going into the next four and the next four are a little bit tougher. And then, you know, if, if you just start splitting each four game set after that, you end up with about nine wins and, and that's a winning season. I'll take that. Wasn't it a lot easier though, when they only played 16 and you could, you could actually divide this, this season yeah. into four quarters. Well, I you know, know. I divide it yeah. four quarters yeah. plus one. Four quarters. Yeah. I mean, you do that or you go, or you go four, four, five, four. Um, yeah. So it's, it's really young roster with, with some exciting players. Um, and I think one of the things polls did that you hear people talk about a lot, but sometimes you hear them talk about it more than they do it is he put, a uh, an emphasis on brought in, and I'm not I'm talking about guys brought in via uh, methods other than the draft, so free agency, trade, whatever. 
he's he's gotten younger guys who you feel like they are in the prime of their career or entering the prime of their career. So this isn't a football team where you needed uh, a 31 year old player who's maybe still at an elite level, but but that window for him being there is closing and closing quickly. They you, and I'm looking at guys like. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds and DJ Moore and, you know, Nate Davis. I mean, it's, it's when you're going to go out and invest as you're rebuilding, I think you want to do it with guys where you feel like, uh, hey, we, we've got we, – we feel like we got three, four solid years here. Uh, and, and so they, they did that. And so it, that, that's why it's, it's still going to be a young team. You know, some of these guys that are making money aren't uh, old. They've got experience. But uh, you don't feel like there's, um, you know, t- too much tread has come off the tire. Well, Edmonds, I've been, you know, because I'm a Buffalonian, I've been watching that. I've probably seen every game of his career, or maybe I've missed two. And I interviewed him uh, while it, when he was coming out for this thing for ESPN, you know, like a month before the draft or whatever. And he's really a good kid. But I think he has grown so much between his rookie year and last year. You know, when he came in as a rookie, he um, w- he was more reactive than instinctive. That's probably the best way to say it. And then I remember watching last year, and I called a friend of mine in Buffalo. I said, damn, has that guy improved? I think he's the biggest signing in the offseason, and obviously the money says that too. But he's going to do, in my opinion, in pass defense game, very similar to what Erlacher could do. Because he can really cover, and he could probably cover man-to-man better than Brian could. He's got the length and the dimensions, you know. If you just if, yeah. you, have a, if you have him stand next to Erlacher when Erlacher was in his prime. He's know, taller. The height, yeah, the height, the length. Um, so that's a difficult player to uh, to throw around, uh, whether, whether it's in man or – uh, zone coverage, and, and they needed to get better on defense. I, I, it, it's easy to look at what they don't have on defense, but um, we could spend an awful lot of time talking about what they have added on defense to a group that, you know, everyone talks about Justin Fields uh, needed to be surrounded with more talent, and you're not going to get an argument from me at all on that, but that defense last year was terrible. When you can't stop the run, and you can't rush the passer. I mean, that's a recipe for losing a, a whole <laughs> lot of ball games, and, and they, they couldn't do either one, right? I right. Mean, they were right. not equipped. They were not equipped. I, I think um, how good this defense can be this season, uh, to me, more important than um, whether or not they're able to go out and get a pass rusher here in the next six weeks is uh, is how the young defensive tackles develop and and they're going to be thrown into the fire they're going to get an opportunity uh to be in the rotation right away uh and um the the better they perform i think the better the whole unit will be but they've got some interesting guys in the middle of that defensive line when you look at this season next year and and kind of down the road uh, a little bit well the guy they brought in from the raiders billings i think is really an interesting guy you know, he and I went back and looked at college tape, and he is one strong dude. He's kind of like a st- little bigger, little stronger Spice Adams. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he 
these uh, Spice had a little wiggle to him. I don't know how much wiggle Billings has, but when you talk about a a, uh, a two down uh, run defender in the middle of your defensive line, that's a to me that was a sneaky good signing. When you talk yep. about the what they had to pay, they didn't have to pay him a whole heck of a lot. Now, um, as you know, the the only guys that really get paid in the middle anymore are the guys that uh, you know can can collapse the pocket and get a little pass rush going. But they they didn't have that last year, as you know. They didn't have um, a nose to stop the run. I mean, it was uh, it it was really difficult, and I I just feel like they're going to need production from those defensive tackles in order for their marquee signings at linebacker to, to look good. Otherwise, um, you know, Edmonds and Edwards, they're going to be, they're going to be sitting there and they're going to be like, well, this defensive line isn't anything like the ones we played uh, in front of last year. You know, the, the Eagles line was incredible and will be uh, very talented again this year. Um, they're going to need to slow up some uh, opposing offensive linemen for those linebackers to be able to perform to, to their level. What will be interesting, the way I look at it, is how are the, how are they going to use the two rookies in the rotation? So is it going to be a rookie and a veteran? So let's say it's it, it's um, Jones and and Dexter with one group in the rotation, and then um, Billings and the, and Zach and and the other part of the rotation. So they got a vet and a rookie instead of putting two vets and two rookies. You start out that way, but I'll tell you what, if, if Dexter and Pickens are playing well, uh, when you get to November, roll them out there together. You know, I mean, that's, you, you really wanted them to get some help at edge rusher, but uh, they could have uh, a, a mini uh, Tommy Harris and, and Tank Jansen thing going here, right? You know, if those guys are playing well, because uh, I think that's one of the things that, that stuck with me when you talk to the coaches and Poles and his staff. They, they feel like um, – um, would, would they be uh, in a, in a run-stopping situation? Maybe not right away, but let's see, let's see what they can do. Let's see how they perform. Preseason is going to be interesting uh, for those guys. And, and uh, you, you oftentimes, I don't know if you hear it, Greg, you get questions about, well, who's going to start? And to me, it, that, this is a position where, yeah, starting is nice, but you're going to get – It doesn't matter. It's how many snaps are you playing. Yeah, yeah you're going to get a real clear indication of how the staff feels about these guys by just looking at the snap totals. Right. And it, it, it'll probably work out 55-45 or maybe even close to 50-50 yeah. if, they, if they like everybody. Yeah, and, and like Dervon Dexter's a guy who was probably on the field too much last year at Florida. Um, and uh, that because that, uh, he was a stud for him and he never came off the field. And you, you had take him off the field a little bit more, maybe you have a little bit more uh, production. Yeah, no, no question about uh, that. Interesting position. The, 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 what they got to do is is get a, a pass rusher, a pure pass rusher. But in my opinion right now, there's only two out there on the market, on the street. There's Ngakwe and there's Houston. And Houston, as good as he's played the last couple of years, he's still 34, and that goes away from what Poles has been doing as far as signing people. Yeah, in my mind, 
if you brought in either one of those guys, Greg, uh, when you get to February and the beginning of March, you're going to be talking about the Bears' top needs for 2024. And it, it very well. I, I said, start, been saying all along, two of their top three will be pass rushers. Yeah, I mean, Yannick Ngakwe is 28 years old. Uh, he's had eight sacks or more in every season uh, in the NFL. And I think it's probably apparent that um, the value he placed on himself entering this offseason has exceeded what any of the teams has been willing to pay uh, to this point. Could that shift if uh, some team has an injury? I, I guess. But um, if, if you're unsigned on July uh, 18th, uh, that you either can't play or your terms don't match uh, what a team has. And I think we all know he can play. He's, uh, he's a designated pass rusher uh, based on the many people I've talked to about him over the last couple months as he's remained unsigned. You do not want him on the field uh, in, uh, in run situations, but he would add something that they are missing uh, on the roster right now uh, and – We'll we'll see uh, where he ends up, but obviously his uh, his price tag has uh, been a shock to uh, to teams up to this point. Well, you know it's interesting though because I looked at his his play time, and except for one season, he's been over seventy percent of the defensive snaps every year. He he does not miss games. Uh, he answers the bell on Sundays and and. You know, you talk about okay. Well, how much? How much are you going to have a guy like that on the field? Well, how how, how often are you a nickel? Right, you're nickel. Right, seventy seventy five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Minimum of seventy percent of the time. So uh, that would uh, seem to, uh, to to match up. Um, I, I think he's uh, considered a solid guy too. He's he's not some guy you look at and say, well. You're, you know, geez, and in 2019, he had an arrest for this. There's not an app with this guy. Um, no. So he remains a possibility for the Bears and, and just about anyone else at this point. Uh, he, he did go on, I believe it was Sirius XM back in the late spring, and he talked about a goal being to uh, to sign with a uh, contender. Um, I, I think at this point he's probably willing to sign uh, with anyone, I'd written something at the time like, well, if he picks the Bears, that would be a sign that he thinks, uh, you know, they're on the move uh, like George Jefferson. They're moving on up. Uh, but at this point, he's uh, money thing. He's got to get that to work for someone. And he's probably staring uh, at, a, at another one year deal. I mean, he's a, when, when you see a player who's bounced around like he has, and I think it's been five teams in five years. Uh, Jacksonville, Minnesota, Baltimore, Las Vegas, and the Colts. The first thing that enters my mind is, well, this is a guy who has trouble fitting into the locker room. And and in talking to people, I don't think that's the case. Um, it, you know, you've got legit concerns about him playing the run. The Bears should know him. They should have a full scouting report. Uh, their defensive line coach, Travis Smith, well, was coached, in. Yeah, he coached him in Oakland or Vegas. Yeah, so – um, they would full well inside and out what they're buying if they're able to uh, get him, and and it's a need. You know, would 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 he transform this defense? I, I don't think so. Uh, I, I find that hard. But to he's going to give them something it, they don't have, right? Would he make it better? No question. No question. You know, it, it, 
speaking about what he said a couple months ago, in the last four days, he's done two interviews. One was on Good Morning Football Friday, and then another one was either Sunday or yesterday. And he's come off this multi-year deal, want to go to a contender. It's turned to, hey, I just want to sign a contract and play for somebody, no matter who it is. You know, when he first got to Indianapolis um, last year, he talked about uh, how uh, how the community had embraced him and how much he loved it there and how much he wanted to retire uh, in Indianapolis. So, you know, he, he switched agents. He's been through Rosenhaus. Rosenhaus is known to be a deal maker. You would imagine uh, something gets done for him in the next uh, week or so, unless unless they pivot and are of the mind that maybe um, they see if there's a team that has an injury crop up in the first, say, two weeks of training camp. And, and that I, I don't think you could rule that strategy out because uh, if there's a team who has a uh, legit edge rusher, but maybe a, not a not a lot of depth at that position, and that team views itself as a contender, uh, perhaps that would uh, give him some leverage that he's clearly been lacking to this point. Well, you know, I, I was telling Aldo before we started the show, I've known Rosenhaus since 88 when he came into the league. So I, I, I know him pretty well, and I, and I get along with him well. And I sent him a text this morning. So I said, between you and me, the Bears got any interest in the and Gakwe. And I said, they need a pass rusher. And usually he gets back to me. He gets back to me usually right away. He didn't get back to me. That tells me they've shown some interest. Although if he would have got back to you right away, I, I don't know. I don't know, Greg. Whatever I've asked an agent, um, not whenever. The majority of the time when I've asked an agent if a team has interest in its client, it's a resounding yes, and so do a lot of other teams. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, well, I know how Drew plays the game. He got, you know, he'll say, "Oh yeah, there's eight teams trying to get him," you know. But I sent that at eight o'clock, and as of right now, I haven't gotten a reply. And usually, I get a reply from him within thirty minutes. So I just found that maybe, maybe that. Yeah, that could be a sign, and and he would, uh, he would definitely uh, help the defense and provide something that it's missing. I because you're going to be hopeful that guys like Dominique Robinson and Travis Gibson uh, can uh, emerge. You know, Travis Gibson's a guy who had seven sacks in 2021. Um, you'd have to spend some time going back and looking at the specific plays to see perhaps. Uh, how much of that was uh, getting help because uh, a future Hall of Famer and Robert Quinn was having a monster season and teams were uh, having to look out for him. You know, occasionally guys will uh, clean up plays that are created by the edge rusher on the opposite side of them or, or things of that nature. But but Gibson put up some numbers, and so that gave you some optimism going into last year. But uh, shoot, it was like a disease. None of those oh, guys. He, he, uh, uh, I know they were disappointed. And, and, you know, he just didn't show up for whatever reason. Robinson, yeah, know, it was a new an excuse. Yeah, Robinson got up to that, you know, he made some terrific plays in that opener against the 49ers. And and then you just, you, 
you felt like, boy, I haven't seen Robinson do much in a couple of weeks. And then it's the middle of the season and you're like, where's Robinson been? Um, you know, it could be a, a situation where he was a guy that was he's still new to the position, right? He played uh, only his fourth year now playing the position. A lot, you see a lot of these young guys who enter the league um, can move with a counter. Uh, so perhaps that's something that he's been able to try to uh, try to expand his toolbox a little bit uh, this offseason because it, it's a big year for him, you know. Like, uh, you, I know he's a, what is he, fifth round pick. Uh, year two, uh, you, the arrow needs to be to be pointing up. Yeah, he's got it. I mean, you know this. Usually with most rookies, they take that big jump between year one and year two, and they take off. So, and Travis was the same way. Travis had, what, three or four sacks his first year as a rookie playing part-time, and then he got seven or seven and a half in the second year he took off. But then he, you know, did he level off? That's what we don't know. But when you look at the physical traits of Robinson, you know, he's got like a 40-inch vertical jump, and, he, you know, he's got a real long, long jump. He's very explosive. He just has to learn how to play. And, and play against some, some good tackles, you know. I mean, they're, yeah, so right. no question. It, uh, it'll be interesting to see how the defense performs. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's just uh, – I, th- I think there's a little bit of a buzz. I don't think it's nationally about the Bears, but I think locally, you know, there's legitimate reason – to, to feel like this is a really interesting team. Ten-game losing streak to end the year. Uh, Bears have been playing football as long as anybody. That's a franchise record dropping. I know. Uh, t- ten in a row. And, and as I've, as I've t- told people, you know, it's, it's really hard uh, to win ten games in a row in the NFL. Um, at the same Might be time, harder to lose. <laughs> at, at the same time, it's really difficult to lose ten games in a row. I mean, that, that's hard to do. The NFL – uh, there's like this gravitational pull you used to say toward uh, 500, which it, the only way you get to 500 now is if you've got a tie in the mix, right? But the NFL has a, a, this gravitational pull that kind of brings most teams in, in, you used to say that seven and nine win range. And if a team is talented um, and healthy, it, it gets to 10, 11 wins. If it's an elite team, um, that's healthy, you're talking about 12-plus wins. And, and then when you've got a team that's hit with injuries, you know, that's where you get into that five- to six-win range. You've got a bad roster, five- to six range. You've got a bad roster and injuries, and, and then you're, like, sub-five. And um, so it was, a, it was a bad roster last year. Uh, it's, yeah, a, no it's, a very, it's a very different roster this year. It's a young roster. And they've got some exciting players, so uh, that's why there's legit uh, buzz. I think at least locally uh, about this team. They're gonna the Bears will have to go out and win some football games and win a few games in impressive fashion. I think for people around the country to uh, to sit up and take notice. But that that's what happens when you've been down for a while. Oh yeah, I I, I don't worry about what the national people say because. Reality is they don't study a team. You know, they're not looking at it and looking at the acquisitions and knowing what's going on day to day. So they're going off of last year. And so they suck last year. So they're going to suck again this year. And then we'll see what happens. You know, they've just 
they've just been mediocre for for a long time with some yeah. um, with some you know brief uh, exceptions and and that's why when Pauls was hired one of the things that I think people need to keep in mind when they they you know talk about a timeline and and a plan and all that stuff is he is he talked about and and they all talk about it right I mean he's not the only GM that comes up with these talking points that. Uh, will resonate with his bosses, which are ownership and, and a fan base, but it was sustained success. And, and the, the Bears have um, struggled. I mean, that's a, a, a near impossibility at House Hall. There haven't been a consecutive winning seasons since 05 06. So he is trying to, what Poles is trying to do is, is put a foundation in place with a roster that. Um, that can get to success and, and then, and then maintain it. And um, obviously you got to have a quarterback to even talk about sustained success. And, and Justin Fields will be the, the number one storyline uh, this season. And if he can uh, emerge, uh, then there's going to be an opportunity. No, th- there, there's no question. The one thing though, I give credit to the polls for is that, like everybody else, he's had a plan, but he's adhered to the plan. He hasn't deviated one iota from that plan and, and panicked it and, and overpaid for somebody or oversigned. You know, he, he's, he's had, like in free, I talked to him during free agency and he said, hey, numbers got out of hand. I wasn't going there. You know, and so, and I don't blame him. You've, you've got to be sound, especially when you're coming out of a, you know, they, they were in, uh, you know, people talk about teams being in cap hell. The Bears weren't in cap hell, but they were they were in dead money hell last year, right? When you're when you're sort of trying to reshape the thing uh, in a hurry. So in order to uh, stay healthy in terms of cap and, and what you've got with your resources, you, you get to be uh, prudent. And, and the, the time was not this offseason to make. Uh, any sort of uh, luxury buy, right? The the, the buys that they made uh, filled real needs. You know, uh, 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 you look at the linebackers they paid, and you understand the defense and the background of the coach, and you're like, okay, makes sense to me. Yep, no question. Look, I promised you 30 minutes, and we're a little over that. Aldo, you got any questions? Yeah, if I can squeeze a couple in real quickly. My first one is uh, Virginia McCaskey and Steve McMichael are semifinalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. What do you think their chances are? I don't know. Um, that they're, they're, you look at the list of people um, that are included uh, in the senior and contributor category, and, and you know some of these names, you're like, wow, I can't believe they're not in. You know, or or yeah, this is a reminder of how great a career uh they had uh virginia is interesting um she's beloved uh throughout the league uh the other owners i mean she's just held in in such uh high regard and and then you know mongo was was such a great part of of one of the historic defenses uh, in the history of the league the only thing that would be working against him is that there's so many guys from that team uh, that are already in, but very deserving of being in the conversation and um, really just have your name on a list like that. 
Indeed. Triple R asks, uh, if you, you've been in the reporting game, Brad, for a long time, long enough to see the consumption of information go from newspapers and radio to YouTube videos and Zoom, do you have a favorite era, a favorite prefer preference of uh, kind of this uh, uh, media consumption age? I've been to the Chicago Tribune. That turns the lights on here at home. Um, you, you know, I, it, it, so much uh, so much stuff gets aggregated these days, but um, it's uh, it, it's great because you know, as a fan, you can stay plugged in uh, around the clock where, wherever you are. Yeah, and are you going to do your six seventy hits during the football season on the Mully and, and Haw show? Uh, I'm sure I will be back bright and early uh, next week. Probably, uh, probably starting Monday. I think I got to. I probably want to get the lawn cut on Monday before uh, reporting day on Tuesday. So I, I feel I feel good about the start of the week. Uh, so I'll probably do that before I fire up the mower. Well, the rookies are coming in Sunday, right? Uh, the first day they're uh, swinging the doors wide open to media is uh, is Tuesday. Okay. One quick one in here so that you guys can refute. Uh, there are obviously no truth to any rumors of uh, Josh Jacobs coming to no. Chicago trade, right? Come, come on. <laughs> That's where you can go down rabbit holes on, on social media and come up with a bunch of garbage. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, I think, I think the running back group will be uh, – I think it's good. Be yeah, it's going to be it, – it, they've got guys that could do – a uh, little bit of everything. One guy to keep an eye on uh, in camp, uh, Tristan Ebner. You know, he's kind of been the forgotten guy uh, because he went out and got some some other dudes. But uh, it felt really good about him catching the ball out of the backfield a year ago when they took him. They felt really good about him on special teams. Um, I'm, interested to see, I'm interested to see if in the first two weeks of camp, you know, he can remind people – uh, why he's there because he could be in the mix in that in that uh, group as well. I think worst case him. scenario is he's he's practice squad. Yeah, that, that's well, the worst and, case. And Brad wrote about Tristan Ebner in his uh, Q and A column at the Chicago Tribune. I really encourage all fans to go back and read some of those Q and A columns. And then his ten thoughts that's released the day after a football game is must reading for everybody. Brad Biggs, you are one of the best in the business. We're really happy to have had you here. Thank Take you, care. buddy. Talk soon. He's the best. He really is sensational. I wanted to, you know, I, I knew we were over on time with him, but uh, Frank earlier had posted this. Uh, he said, my favorite Big Z moment was when he asked Matt Nagy about a scheme. And Nagy freaked out and said, I can't give you my game plan. It was such a weird and awkward and entertaining media moment. <laughs> and I'll tell you, you know, uh, you and I, and I know a lot of other fans, we, we watch a lot of these press conferences. And, uh, and Brad is always, you know, Brad is one of a handful of media members who's always asking really uh uh, insightful questions and every once in a while you get a reporter asking you know what color underwear are you wearing <laughs> why are you asking that I don't know. <laughs> well you know first of all he's very very knowledgeable yeah he yes, knows he and understands the game mm -hmm. second and, and for my take for my money he is by far the best guy on the beat in this town there's no i mean nobody's even close and he gets that guy's a bulldog now. He works his ass off, and and 
He's got more connections around the league than probably everybody else in Chicago put together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does. And uh, I go down to the Senior Bowl almost every year. I see him down there, and uh, he's collecting information. He's not uh, he's not dawdling around. He's talking to people. He's he's doing one on ones with with people. I see, so I saw him at work. He's really a, a fabulous reporter, old school type, uh, and uh, he's adapted to this new media age. I because I see him on YouTube from time to time. He uses uh, social media, Twitter, and so forth. So he's a man of uh, great flexibility. Hats off to Brad Biggs. And again, really appreciate him being here. Absolutely. Um, Greg, I wanted to get your take on this whole Virginia McCaskey, Steve uh, McMichael, Mongo McMichael, 2024 semifinalist. Do you think there's any chance either one of them gets in? I, I, mean, it's, I, the, the, I might become a, an asshole in Chicago. I, I think Virginia would get in before McMichael. I know McMichael was a, was a good player, yeah. but was he up here? You know, well, among, and, and, among and granted, defensive. I wasn't here during that. You know, I was working for the Giants during those great uh, teams of Chicago, and and we 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 played against them in the playoffs for the '85 Bears and and lost. And then the next year, uh, we got to the Super Bowl, so there was you know there was good competition between the two of us. But, you know, there was that defensive line as a whole, there was Hampton and Dent and, and, and you had Singletary and stuff. It, it, it's like he, I've always looked at it, and I'm not taking away from his ability, but more of a piece to the puzzle mm-hmm. than the big piece. But I may be totally wrong on that. I mean, that's just the way I see it. Well, I want to tell our fans that tonight at 8 p.m., he's actually going to be on around 9.15, 9.30 Central Time on the Bear Their Soul Show. Jack Silverstein is going to make the case for Steve McMichael. He's going to come armed with stats. It's it's almost like he's going to be making his pitch to the Hall of Fame committee. Well, that's Pompey's job. Yeah, that's right. And very good at it, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it would be interesting to uh, talk to uh, Pompey about that because he's on the Hall of Fame committee. Well, you know, that's how they – I've talked to guys who've been on the selection committee mm-hmm. and the voting committee, and, and really it's it's a local guy that does the presentation. Ah, all the time, huh? Yeah. And, and so, you know, so that's – I don't know who else is on the committee besides Pompey coming out of Chicago, but – Dan would be the big seller. Yeah, and I I, got to tell you, that I think, in my opinion, is the right approach because nobody knows the extensiveness of a player's career than the guy who's been covering him, interviewed him in the locker rooms, heard stories about him from other players and the training staff and so forth. And so you get the best information, as you said so accurately to Brad. The national media, they don't know anything. I mean, not that, you know, I'm exaggerating there, but they don't know the intricacies of a game. You know, they don't see every minute of a Bears game. They don't see every minute of a football player's career. And so their information is limited. Uh, so guys like Brad Biggs are, are, and Don Pompey are treasures. You know, I, I follow three or four teams closely. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, you know, know them well. And obviously – the bears and the bills the best and but i can't tell you about the other teams and and i've worked in this my whole adult life you know you just 
So when I see some of the stuff that the national media puts out, I just laugh at it because they, they, most of them don't know what they talk, what they're talking about. Guys like Mark Lombardi and Mike is a friend. And I've like, I've known Mike for almost 40 years. And number one, he knows that he's getting, and I might've said this before, he knows he's going to piss people off when he says negative things about the bears. So he does it purposely, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he gets clicks out of it. And, and, you know, I had him when I was doing a, a pregame show on, on the score when they were playing like a, a, a Sunday night game. I had a, a, the uh, 9 to 12 slot, you know, with, a, with a, another co-host. And we had uh, him on a couple times. And, you know, I let him say his piece. I didn't agree with him. But that was like, you know, that was like the 2018 year when he was killing Trubisky and Trubisky actually had a pretty good year. <laughs> yeah, he did. Uh, and hopes were high for Trubisky back then, but not to be. All right. Um, we are going to talk about the linebacker group. We've been doing our positional breakdowns that Greg has uh, given us his thoughts on uh, a number of positions. And today we have picked the linebacker group, probably arguably the, the one position group that has gone through the biggest change with two major acquisitions at the linebackers. And so we'll start with the projected starting linebackers. We've got Tremaine Edmonds acquired uh, via free agency from the Buffalo Bills and TJ Edwards from the Buff, excuse me. Yeah. Also from, was TJ with the Buffalo? I'm, no, he's I'm, Philly. Philly. I'm sorry. Of course. And then uh, second year player, Jack Sanborn returns to get snaps at the Sam uh, linebacker. Now he, there could be competition for Sanborn, but right now these are the three projected linebackers. Take them one at a time. Greg, take it away. Well, I, I'll start with Sanborn first. I don't know if you can project him as a starter. It's not that he's not a good player because I really like him as a player. Okay. It's that in this defense, most games, you're starting out with just two linebackers. You're starting out in sub, unless you're playing a team that's predominantly just two wideouts, and then you're going to play with that third linebacker. But so you're, you're starting out with three corners, and your slot corner is taking the place of, of the uh, Sam linebacker. So your your two main linebackers are going to be your Mike Tremaine Edmonds and TJ Edwards at, at the will. And then the other guys. Now, a lot, a lot of games last year, they only had five linebackers active uh, on Sunday. And, and part of the year, there's only five on, on the roster. I'm going to think they're going to have – six this year at least going into the year uh because there's some talented guys you just don't want to cut and for those last positions i think there's going to be it's going to be one of the interesting shows in camp or battles in camp to to see you know who makes it and who doesn't obviously tremaine and, and edwards are at the top we talked about tremaine with big z you know, I just think his game has gotten better and better every year. He's become very, very instinctive. Uh, and, and he's got the added dimension and that he's an excellent blitzer. And you can put him outside to, to rush. You can put him, you know, on a delayed blitz inside. And he's very, very effective doing it. And his coverage skills, I think, are rare. And especially with his height, his length, and his athleticism to go along with the speed, 
he takes away the middle of the field, much like Brian did when, when Erlacher was here uh, in, in the lovey years. And, it, you know, we're playing the same scheme. So he's a big help. And, and the funny thing is, is that TJ Edwards is a lot like Lance Briggs. The, mm-hmm. Their size, their speed coming out of college, pretty much identical. And TJ is extremely instinctive, just like uh, Lance was. And, and you could say, arguably, he was one of the best players on, the, on that really strong defense that Philly had last year. You know, so, you know, that is um, that's another good acquisition. I was just shocked from, from day one when they signed him on the, you know, the first couple hours of free agency that they got him as cheap as they did. Yeah. You know, that was really a surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's a local kid. Being that he's, he's home now, that's going to probably make him work even a little bit harder. Yeah. And play a little bit harder. And it's, there's nothing wrong with his effort before when he was playing in Philly. Guy's a hell of a player. So after that, though, it, it's like, you know, who are the next three or four guys? Well, Sanborn, I think, is a given. Mm-hmm. And I think you got another given in Dylan Cole because they gave him a little money. Uh, a veteran played for uh, Tennessee the last few years. But he is an excellent special teams player. Mm-hmm. He can uh, – play Sam. He can, I think he's a Sam and a, and a Mike. I'm not sure if he can play the will position, but these backups, these guys we're talking about now, they have to be able to, because the Sam does not play that much, they have to be able to step in, be able to step in if Edwards goes down or if Edmonds goes down. So they've got to be capable of playing those positions. Uh, I, I think that, you know, if Edmonds went down, the first guy you're going to look at for the bike is, is uh, Sanborn. And then the next guy would be Sterling Weatherford, who they picked up on waivers from the Colts. And that was one guy Ballard was fist about. Mm-hmm. Really wanted to stash him on the practice squad. But, you know, the Bears scouting department, give them credit. They did a good job scouting the kid, uh, during the preseason because he's a, you know, he's a size speed guy played at the Mac and uh, you know, needed some grooming Um, did some things on special teams last year when he got an opportunity, but now it's a second year. So this is the year he's got to take a jump. Um, Then there's Noah Sewell who they drafted because they drafted him. You know, that they're not going to want to get rid of him. Now I've heard some people say, well, we can put him at edge and he can rush the passer. He's not a pass rusher. He's just over six foot one and he's got 31 and a quarter inch arms. That's not what they're looking for as an outside pass rusher. He just doesn't have the traits. Is he effective as a blitzer? Yes, but he's a pretty damn good linebacker off the ball linebacker. You know, he's got good cover skills. He fills the gaps really well. He can take on blocks. He makes plays. He's instinctive. And he's another guy that I think can probably play all three positions. Now, whether they have him just learn two or three, that remains to be seen uh, because it's a little, it's pretty difficult to uh, put that much on a rookie's plate, but you know, he's going to be there. So um, between Cole Sanborn and Sewell, that's three and that's five guys. 
And then, so who was the, the sixth guy? And to me, the sixth guy would be Weatherford with an outside chance to um, DeMarcus Gates, who was, uh, you know, last year played a little bit. And, Three games, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and filled in. He's got some athleticism. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but a- anybody after that, like Baskerville, I just done. Baskerville was a decent player at LSU. When you look at the number, his his numbers, his raw numbers, height, weight, speed, I just don't think he's going to be fast enough or athletic enough. Uh, he is instinctive. There's no question about that. So, I mean, he's really going to have to jump out to make this team. Foster Covers asked a question. When was the last time the Bears had this much quality and depth at linebacker? Do you agree, first of all, with the assessment that this is a team filled with quality and depth? On paper, there's a lot of talent. It remains to be seen if it's quality depth yet. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, so, uh, you know, if, if you say Sanborn's number three, the first three are pretty damn good. The first two are excellent. First two are Pro Bowl caliber players. Okay, so then Sam Bourne is a good player. And and part of the reason is I think one of the most important things a linebacker has to have is he's got to have great instincts. And that's what Sam Bourne does. He has unbelievable anticipation. So and, and Weatherford is actually the same way. When he when you look at his tape from Miami of Ohio, he's a rookie. You know, he's, he's tall, he's fast, needed to get a little bit bigger. I think he was about two and a quarter last year, needed to get a little heavier uh, and a little bit stronger. But the talent's there. So I, I'm not ready to say that it's the deepest, most talented group. Because we had a pretty good group here with Erlacher, Briggs, Hunter Hillemeyer, and we we had some backups behind them that were decent players. So that group was pretty damn strong. So, Mm -hmm. but this group has the ability to be equal to that group. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. And and I think Foster will agree that that group uh, was perhaps the, the last group of players uh, at the linebacker. Roland wasn't he? He's got uh, J2K slash Colvin, yeah. yeah. But that uh, Colvin was not here playing for Lovey, I don't believe, maybe one year. And, and he, he went to New England. He was, I remember he was here uh, the season where we beat the Cardinals. Uh, we know uh, the Bears are who we thought they were. Okay, that, that, was, that was our Super Bowl year. I don't remember him being here that year, but maybe you're right. Yeah. Uh, and let's not rely on my memory for things. That, that's for sure. <laughs> um, J2K goes on to say, I love Poles' approach to signing and drafting Chicago area guys. It adds another depth to building an all-end team and great locker room culture. You agree with that? Yeah. I'll tell you what. It puts a lot of pressure on those kids. Mm-hmm. They, they want to perform because they're playing at home. So, but that added pressure of having to make the team and play good. We, we drafted Garrett Wolf, you know, from Northern Illinois. What a hell of a career in Northern Illinois. And he kind of flamed out. Part of it was injury related. Yeah. Um, took him in the third, probably took him around too high. Uh, but 
you know, that one didn't work out. Now, this team, God, they got, you know, there's Sanborn, there's Komet, there's Edwards, there's the backup center that drafted last year. I mean, there's a bunch of guys that are local kids. Yeah. I got to see. And, and the draft was uh, full of local kids. I mean, they could have drafted five guys locally if, they, if it just fell that way. Mm-hmm. Very, very true. Um, all right, let's see. We've got um, uh, Tim. Uh, many teams put so much stock in the combine and draft players in the early rounds based on athleticism instead of what the tape shows. Many of those players flake out. He's curious about your take on that. I don't just. I don't agree with that statement at all. Okay, because the it's the media who puts the stock on the combine. You've heard coaches say time and time again, and the same with personnel directors. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. running around in shorts. What you want to do at the combine is what, what's nice about the combine is you get to compare players at the same position on the same surface on the same day in the same under the same conditions. So there's no change in variable. Other than if you're in the first group or the second group and you're working out at 8 o'clock or 10 o'clock in the morning. Other than that, everything is the same. So to be able to compare, it's truly comparing apples to apples, pure athleticism. But, you know, the you hear the names that jump out at the Combine and the media makes a big deal about it. You'll say draft analysts go, they jumped up two rounds. Well, research that and then go to the draft and see who really did jump up. Or did they go where they were supposed to go? Because mm-hmm. in most cases, they went when they were supposed to go. Because it's still it, it, that the most important thing in the evaluation is what they do on tape. Can they mm-hmm. play? Or, are there some guys that you take because they're freak athletes? Yeah, because then, you know, a coach and a personnel director, they're going to fall in love with that athleticism and then they're going to dream of what he can be. But you got to be careful with that. Mm-hmm, indeed. But there is, there is uh, uh, for small school players, guys who have not played against top talent, they're the ones that could, who potentially could jump up after the All-Star games and after the combine performance because that's scouts' first look at them being alongside players who have come from big schools and so forth. Is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely, because you're seeing – First rule of thumb when you're going into a small school is he's got to dominate that level of comp. Mm-hmm. He's got to jump off the tape and be the best player on the field. So, you know, regardless of the position, now you stick him in an all-star game and he's up against power five type competition. Now you want to see what he does. And it's, that game's probably more important to him than is, say, you know, a kid from Alabama or Missouri or Illinois because he is up against better players and you want to see how he performs and is he an equal or better. Mm -hmm. And so then, you know, that type of guy, you could project, say, okay, now if I get him and I get to coach him, because, you know, if he's coming from D3 or D2 or something, he's not getting the coaching that he's getting at a power five school. And and I'm not taking away from the, the coaches at those levels, but just the, 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 those guys are usually young guys that are trying to work their way up 
and they're just not quite as good as the the coaches that you're going to see at the powerhouses. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I think there's there, there's truth to that. But like anything else, you're going to miss on a couple of them too. Yeah. Um, Danger T asked a question, Greg. Would you what would you consider a successful season in 2023? Is it having a winning record or development of Justin Fields and other players? You know, that's a good question. I think you, it's a combination of the both. I, you know, I'm on record as saying I think they can win nine games. And who was the hell was I talking to that said, oh, hell, I got 10 down. And, oh, I think, was it Ed Holden that said that? Yes. Yeah, and and it's it's possible. They got to get out quick. You got to stay injury-free. But at the same time, you got to see the arrow going up with Justin. Now, I'm totally confident that that's going to be the case. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason is, and go back to the conversation we had with Pep, and I think Pep misunderstood a little bit, you know, when he said, well, you're comparing uh, Justin to one of the best quarterbacks in the league, and I really wasn't doing that, comparing Justin to Josh Allen when he was going into his third year. Mm-hmm. And when he was going into his third year, there was people – in the media saying he ain't going to, he might not make it. You know, he's, he's got to take the jump this year. And that's the same thing they're saying about Justin Fields. Yeah. Well, I'm of the opinion that if he's, if we see progression from Justin Fields and some of the other players, then it's going to manifest itself in more wins. Now the question is, is how many wins, right? Um, I think if, 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 Fields makes a big leap that all of a sudden he starts to look like a franchise quarterback. This team will be in playoff contention because I think this this division is weak outside of the Lions. I really do believe the Lions are going to be a tough team to beat this season. They seem to be on a great trajectory, how they've built their roster. I'm still not a fan of their coach, but, you know, sometimes you win <laughs> even if you've got a questionable coach. Um, all right, let's see what else we got here. There's, there's a lot of discussion in the chat room about assistant general manager Ian Cunningham. Let me phrase the question to you this way. You were against the idea of bringing in somebody above the general manager to act as, a, as the general manager's boss. But the idea of bringing in an assistant general manager to help with player personnel decisions uh, is it fair to say that you are a fan of this approach, that the GM now has a, a sounding board and somebody with connections throughout the league? There's been a lot of uh, transactions with the Philadelphia Eagles where Cunningham came from. Do, do you like this kind of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid partnership they've developed? Well, well, sometimes, and I'm not saying this to make it sound like anti-Ian because I, I, you know, he's very qualified, very talented, and he's going to be a GM in the league. There's no question about it. But what's happening around the league, which was not going on when I was there, mm-hmm. is these different layers that you have within a, a personnel department. Okay, go back to when I was, you know, spent most of my time in the league. You had a general manager, college scouting director, and a pro scouting director, you know, so it was one, two, three. And, and, you know, you didn't have all these different layers of guys. Now, when I was with the giants, 
Tom Boyster was the college scouting director, but he had the title player personnel director. He had nothing to do with the pro side. Timmy Rooney was the pro director. So, you know, title means nothing. Job description means everything. And we didn't have the titles here. You know, Bobby DePaulo was the pro director and myself. Right. Director of college, director of pro. But our job responsibility was every bit as equal when you look at what we were being asked to do as a player personnel director. We didn't get the paycheck of a player personnel director. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's probably by design. Um, I know it's by design, not probably by design, but that is what it is. The Now you got... You know, if, if you want to bring in quality people, you got to find the right title for them. Otherwise, the other team can't can say no. Yeah. yeah. You know, so you give a guy like Ian. You know, he was a personnel director in in Philly. Well, you can't. They can say no if you want to make him the personnel director here. So you got to make him the assistant GM. Yeah, makes sense. Sure. So yeah. you see, you see what I'm doing, but. What's he really? He's the personnel director. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's is he doing some some of the job that that uh, polls does? You know, overseeing some things, of course. You know, mm-hmm. you, you did, it. but you know that was the same when we were here. You know, mm-hmm. we were helping Jerry do some things. So the important thing is, and and like I say, you're seeing it across the league, is that to get really a, a, a lot of quality people you give out bigger titles and mm-hmm. you know there was only a couple when i was working in the league there was only a couple assistant general managers now shit just about every team has one and it's just so just another you know layer even, even uh, like after i left the giants they Never had the quote personnel director that you know, general manager, personnel director, college director, pro director, until just in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. They had it the same way we had it, you know. Just a, and and I remember John Mara talking about it because Jerry Reese wanted to hire a personnel director, and and John Mara says, Why that just puts another person in between you and your scouts. You know, and what's interesting about that, though, uh, Greg, is that, you know, I, I'm of I'm of the opinion that it's great to have a bunch of guys who can collaborate and got different opinions and so forth. But what is key is the final decision maker has to really make decisions based on uh, the information collected and not the personalities. For instance. Well, I got to go with what this person says because they're always sharing ideas and I haven't done anything that he has said. Well, screw that. If, if you've got somebody on the team who isn't giving you good advice or good insight or insight that you think is the best, don't worry about it. Just make well, it the decision. You know, that's, it's a good point because you get at the end of the draft and you got your area scouts and there's some years when a guy didn't get any of his guys drafted. Mm-hmm. And it's not because he didn't do a good job. A lot of times it's the way it fell. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, it, you know, it's real simple. Yeah. So, 
when my phone was busy. I just want to see if it was Rosenhaus. Oh, this would be cool. <laughs> this would be cool. If you've missed the uh, earlier part of the show, uh, Greg no. sent a text to uh, Ndakwe's uh, agent, Drew Rosenhaus, but no response. Uh, okay, <laughs> that would have been great. Uh, oh, yeah, we're going to lock something up in a few minutes here. <laughs> that would have been awesome. <laughs> Uh, all right, great points, and we've got some more questions to address here before we sign off. Let me go to – this is a great question from Dentit Fender. How does a scout determine a prospect's heart? Because, jeez, I mean, that can really push a player from average to uh, really good and from really good to superstar. Well, uh, what you're saying, heart is really football character. Okay. Football character is love of the game. You know, the game's important to him. His work ethic wants to be the best he can be. That's part of your job, finding that out, talking to the right people at the school. Mm -hmm. And don't just talk to the, you know, the pro liaison. Talk to the strength coach. Talk to the trainer. Know who knows a lot? The equipment guy. Because remember we were talking last week about Northwestern, and I said – what room is connected to the locker room? It's almost all one room, the equipment. Mm-hmm. They know everything that's going on in the locker room. Yeah. And those guys are great guys to know. Another good one to know, academic advisor. Because they'll tell you how they're doing in this, in school and well, what are the strengths. Just, yeah, what, what the interests are, what the interests aren't. They know the, they know the kid sometimes a little better away from the locker room. Gotcha. You know, the school. So, and, and then you go, you go, you go back and if it's a guy you're really interested go back and talk to some people from his hometown, high school, high school coach isn't always the best guy because you know, he's going to praise the shit out of him. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, so you know, it's like, you know, you want somebody to give you some dirt. Exactly. You know, if there is any dirt. Yes, exactly. You want the truth. You, right. you want the truth is what you want. Absolutely. All right. Uh, let's see. We've got here. Um, D. Starren asks, uh, going back to the 2021 NFL draft, is Justin Fields the fourth best quarterback in this draft? Or is he equal to Trevor Lawrence at this point? So the four quarterbacks selected in that draft, of course, were Trevor Lawrence first, uh, Trey, uh, I'm forgetting his name Trey now. Lance. Trey Lance second, Justin Fields. The Bears traded up at 11th slot to draft Justin Fields. And then uh, the kid uh, from Alabama went to the Patriots uh, with the 16th pick, I think it was. Well, Mac right Jones, now, right now, two and three are trending towards the bust, mm. which is not unusual when you mm. – but. Who knows what I mean with, with Trey Lance? Uh, part of its injury, but and I'll go back because we've talked about this a number of times on here. Old school, and I'm old school, I don't know if you get any more old school than me. <laughs> and it, it's you got to have some history, especially at that position. He mm-hmm. had no history one season at the fcs level and then one game the following year in an offense that was predominantly a run offense not a predominant pass offense 
He had tools. He had traits. So what did I say a little while ago? You fall in love with what he can be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But at that position, you better have shown me what you can do. Okay, Justin Fields got his team to the, in the same draft, got his team to the national championship game. Won the Big Ten. Beat Michigan twice. The guy's quarterback the last two years for Michigan, C.J. Scott, or for Ohio State the last two years, he didn't beat Michigan once. Mm-hmm. And and that's a that's a, a stain on his resume. Because yeah. that's the big game. And yep. so, I, yo, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, I, the, the biggest concern that I've had about Justin Fields is, you know, how quickly he – has not been uh, processing in the NFL. And so a couple of weeks ago, I went back and looked at some tape from him at Ohio State, and I said, wow, he really processes much faster at Ohio State. Well, the, the reasons are obvious. And, and, and for one is guys were much more wide open in college football than they are in the NFL. And so I don't think it's an issue of processing in the NFL. It's just him having the confidence to let it go, throw the ball, throw the ball. Kurt Warner did a tape breakdown on Justin Fields, and those were the words he kept repeating over and over again. Throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball. And so sometimes he just has to have confidence. And nobody brings it up. Mm -hmm. Three offenses in three years. Yeah. 2020, Ohio State's offense. 2021, Matt Nagy's offense. 2022, Luke Getze's offense. Yeah. Ain't easy. Yeah, yeah, that's right. First time now in in four years that he's played in the second offense or, you know, played in an offense two years in a row. Uh, Don Burr is saying, well, you got to factor in that he, uh, Fields played with all these great wide receivers, and so that they made him look better than he really I, is. He had a complete freaking pass, man. He completed 69% of his passes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am with you, man. Uh, of course, Don, for those who don't know, is a Detroit Lions fan, um, and uh, they've got a good team this year, but they will somehow figure out a way to screw, screw it up. <laughs> Uh, Tim Lions, yeah, just like when I was with the Giants, we used to say, yeah, the Jets will be the Jets. <laughs> the Lions will be the Lions. You know, a, a, a national writer texted me yesterday. He said, what, in your opinion, is the big story of the offseason this year? And I said, well, it's got to be Rodgers to the Jets. And he goes, well, do you think they're going to be that good? So, and this is, this is all done via text. Sure. So I sent it back a text. I said, well, you know, I spent 17 years with the, with the Giants. I said, most of that time, George Young was the general manager. And George used to say, eh, the fucking Jets always win the offseason. But when the season starts, they're the fucking Jets, and they suck. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the best George Young impression that you'll ever hear. <laughs> so, you know, that's... Um, <laughs> I sent that back to the guy. He he sent back a laughing face. Uh, Tim wants to know, the Bears had the best draft classes since the 80s during your time there. What things were you looking for, Greg, and what were some deciding factors to know that you needed to draft certain players? We put a premium on football character, and we missed on one. Missed badly. First round pick, Michael Haynes. 
Um, and the scout paid for it because that's that the onus of that is put on the scout. Yeah. Um, that's his like number one job. You, you can, you, you, we've told him you can miss on the talent because we got guys to back you up. You're the guy going into the school. Mm-hmm. You got to have that football character right. Yeah, right. And the, but that that was, I mean, obviously you had to have the traits to to play the position. You had to be a, a competitive football player. But we did. We we found guys that love football, love to play the game. They're competitors. Uh, they're winners. For the most part, they came from pretty good programs. Uh, and, and that's that. You know, that's a little thing that nobody talks about that much. Getting guys that come from quality programs because they're used to winning. And and it goes back to when, when Big Z was on. Now and, and he was saying, well, these you know, young guys, they still got they're just hitting the 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 prime of their careers. But look at the programs they came from. Yep. Philadelphia, Buffalo, Tennessee's, you know, a, a perennial playoff team. You know, those are free agent acquisitions that came from winners mm-hmm. and, and that's going to help in the locker room. Mm. Cornelius wants to know, did Michael Haynes finally become a zoologist? Cause that I believe was his major at Penn state. I don't have any idea. Uh, you, you guys don't talk. <laughs> um, you, you, we, uh, I asked, I, I'm going to share this, Greg, a personal thing. I asked Greg about Joaquin Iglesias, who might be a guest joining us on the Bear Their Social tonight. And Greg says, yeah, I haven't been keeping track with him. He didn't, he didn't play very well for us or, or very much for us. I think it was a third or fourth round draft pick. But yeah. uh, interested in talking to him and catching up with him. Hopefully he's going to join us on Bear Their Souls 8 p.m. Central tonight. Um, all right, let's get a couple more out of here. Um Gustav has a has a long one here, but essentially is how many of the sacks last year were Justin Fields' faults? Because Justin was sacked 55 times last season, among the highest in the NFL, if not the highest. I contend that at least half of those were on him. Do you agree with that? I was going to say at least half were on the line. Yeah, well, the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not on at least half were on the line, or maybe more. Okay. Because you have blitzes. I mean, opposing defenses now, they, they know they had trouble on the offensive line. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. now you're sending more guys than you got to block. Mm-hmm. And, and you're creating problems. And, and uh, you just got no protection. So upgrading the protection. And the protection got better. And then as the protection got better, then Fields hurt his shoulder. Uh, but all you got to do is look at the numbers. And right. where the arrow started going up, uh, so uh, see, I, I I think people are are just too damn critical of the way he played, and I go back because I you know I came up with I go people just expect too much too soon, they want instant gratification instead of letting a player grow the way he's supposed to grow. Chase Claypool is a perfect example. Well, he's supposed to come in here and catch eight balls a game. Mm-hmm. 
It's not the <laughs> offense he played in in Pittsburgh. He didn't even know the terminology for Christ's sake. Yeah. You know, and then he he gets dinged up a little bit and Fields hurts his shoulder. That slows up the whole process. You know, so they they worked it out this season. Now you see stupid stuff because you see videos of of you know some players working with Justin. In the meantime, Claypool on the Bears dime and with the NFL sponsorship was across the pond running football camps for, for kids in Europe for about a 10 day period, which is a, a credit to him. He didn't have to do that. And well, he should have been practicing. Well, he's been practicing last week and this week mm. down in Florida. So shut up. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, that is good. Uh, Jeff says that there was a lot of fault on both parties. Justin took too long too often and uh, and the line gave up too much pressure frequently, especially on the interior. And that was okay, a, but know, now I'm gonna say one thing about that because sure. the players even admitted to it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there were times, and I remember Mooney said it on, on, on once uh, in, a, in a presser after the game. He goes, I was running last year's route. <laughs> You're not on the same page. <laughs> That's right. And that was on Mooney. But who yeah. gets all, who gets the held accountable? The quarterback, because he's got the ball in his hand. That's right. You see the game. It looks like it's Justin's Fields. You walk away with that memory, and then all of a sudden in a a midweek press conference, Darnell Mooney says, yeah, we have a similar play from last year uh, that I thought that was the play, (laughs) and so I ran the wrong route. It's like, dude. (laughs) And then nobody knows that because they don't uh, listen to the interviews. Um, all right. Uh, I think we've got one more. I'm going to skip that one. I'm going to ask you instead about uh, Jalen Carter is being sued by, uh, I, th- I guess, one of the people involved in the traffic accident. Uh, right. First of all, I did not know this, but I just seen this in a headline. Jalen Carter was driving with a suspended license. That's one thing. And now this lawsuit against uh, Carter and the University of Georgia states that Carter left the scene of the crime because he was worried about his draft status. And, um, uh, and, and that well, was, did my... he say that or did somebody write that? That's the allegation in the lawsuit. Okay. Uh, well, of course it, it's it, the allegation in the lawsuit. Right. right. Don't forget allegate. When you get lawsuits like that, the allegations are always really strong. Absolutely. There's okay. No so, and, and does it surprise me that he's being sued? Mm-hmm. No. He just, you know, he's making some money. <laughs> yes, um, that usually happens. The bottom line is, go back to that punter the Bills drafted, mm-hmm. you know, from San Diego State, and and there was that allegation. The Bills ended up cutting him because of the bad publicity, which they never should have done, right. uh, because it took months to find out that he wasn't involved at all. Okay, so. But he got sued, mm-hmm. and he almost got charged. And, and when they did their investigation, they couldn't even charge him because yeah. he wasn't involved. But in today's world, you're you're you're, you're proven guilty before the facts are there. You're guilty before you know. Now you, it used to be, and the way it's supposed to be is you're innocent until proven guilty. Now you're guilty until proven innocent. Yeah. And even when you're proven innocent, there's a lot of doubts, mm-hmm. you know. So, am I sticking up for Jalen Carter? No, not at all. 
Uh, should the Bears have drafted him? No, not at all. And, and is this going to be a distraction for him as a rookie? Yeah. Uh, will it cost us some money? I think that remains to be seen. Yeah. Well, and, and here's exactly what the lawsuit says. Uh, Carter's friend, Georgia offensive lineman Warren McClendon, was, according to the lawsuit filed earlier last week uh, by crash survivor Victoria Bowles, and I'm reading this from a, a fan-sided site, um, uh, that uh, McClendon said to Carter, yo, hey, JC, you might want to get the fuck out of here, you know? And so Carter took off. And he fled. It's a tough situation. There's no doubt about it. You're, you're thinking about, you know, your future and there's this horrible car crash that you probably are seeing the car in flames and you're thinking, well, what the hell can I do about it? But he did lie to police afterwards. That is a pure fact. That's not an allegation. Well, I, sh I should say that the police are alleging that he lied because anybody can lie nowadays. Uh, so it, it's a tough situation. The only reason I'm bringing this up is because earlier you talked about character. And so clearly the Bears had this information. They sat down with Jalen Carter, and if he, was, if he was honest, they asked him questions about why didn't you stay and so forth, and that probably gave them the heebie-jeebies and said, we can't take a chance on this guy. Yeah, Let's I think there was a variety of things. Okay. You know, and then and, and just going back to listen, and, 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 and I'll just put my, my lawyer's hat on here, mm -hmm. when, it's, when the offensive lineman Clendon supposedly said, so-and-so. Well, who said he said it? Mm -hmm. Or is that just an allegation that he said it? Don't forget, you get in these lawsuits, there's a lot of BS on, on the side because the burden of proof isn't anywhere close to what it is in a criminal court. That, that's very true. Yeah. You know, so um, it, it's just, you know, it, it's let it play out. I don't, you know, it, it's not our worry. He's not on our team. And what happens, what happens. But you know, the, the, the Bears hierarchy made their decision to pass, and it was probably a good decision. I, I um, That's my point right there is, you know, Carter could end up being a, a superstar player, but under the circumstances with what's happened and what the allegations are and so forth, I can't see why the Bears at this point in their rebuilding process would take a chance on Jalen Carter. I wish him much luck. I hope he's not guilty of anything, uh, but, uh, you know, let hopefully the truth wins out on that. You know what I, I think is important in here? And, and it's probably important because if you've been reading anything about the University of Georgia in recent years, and, and something came out last week, they still got a big problem with speeding with their players. It's like every freaking player on the team's got speeding tickets, which tells you that the cops are looking to find them speeding. Oh, yeah. Obviously. <laughs> so either the state cops in the area – or the Athens, Georgia police or whatever, they're, they're on the lookout for players going a little fast. But that also tells me the player's got a sense of entitlement, which is not unusual. Mm -hmm. And they think they're above things. Mm -hmm. above, and, and they can get away, from, get away with things. And in the case of Jalen Carter, wouldn't you think he had multiple speeding tickets, I think, there's that one video of him get pulled over and, and, and the cop pretty much, you know, let him off. And he was going like close to 100 or 88 to 45 or something like that. And yeah. it's, to me, it gets down to the, there's no maturity or lack of 
the necessary maturity. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and holding yourself accountable. Yep. And uh, another reason why it was a good idea to bypass them. A lot of people have bringing, been bringing up the case of punter Matt uh, Arizia, Ariza, I think is the pronunciation. Well, that's what I was talking about, Matt Arizia. That's how you say Arizia, it. yeah. And uh, I don't know if you saw the HBO report, uh, but he's kind of made it clear. You know, I wasn't even in the room a lot of uh, and he did have sex with the woman, uh, but he then left and she went inside and she was intoxicated and basically, you know, uh, being very promiscuous. And of course, that's no reason to get raped. Absolutely not. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying that, you know, uh, he was definitely or not, uh, according to him, he was innocent of all the allegations. He has been cleared by the court of law. And uh, so these things happen where he said, she said. Well, and, he's cleared by, he, he never went to court. He was cleared by the police department, I think. Yes, you're right. They, they've said they were not going to file char- charges. Yeah, the, the district attorney and the police department you know, did an investigation. They said he didn't do anything. Right. He wasn't even inside. Uh, video shows that he wasn't inside. And, you know, again, hopefully the truth always wins out. That and cost him a shitload of money already. He still cannot find a job and in the NFL because of the, the teams are concerned about pressure from women's organization groups and other groups that they might be upset at signing him. But hopefully – the, the true story of this whole thing comes out and then people can make a better informed decision. Don't get me going on the cancel crowd. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a good place to leave it here. We've given you 90 minutes of football. I just want to say we had some audio issues with Brad Biggs uh, connection. I'm going to clean that up for the audio podcast version of this episode. Uh, so it's going to take me a little while. It won't be up as quickly as it is, but uh, if anyone who wants to check out the Brad Biggs interview, it will be already housed here on our YouTube channel and then on iTunes and Spotify and those other places will come out later this afternoon. Greg, you're the absolute best. best. Nobody will ever cancel you for whatever reason. I've probably been canceled half a dozen times. <laughs> For no good reason, I should add. Uh, we'll leave it at that. And if you can join us tonight at 8 o'clock, uh, Bear Their Souls, our scheduled guests, Joaquin Iglesias and Jack Silverstein, will talk about Steve McMichael. Take care, everybody. Okay, see you later, guys. <laughs>